The Outskirts of Faith podcast is brought to you by Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Creating audiobooks, podcasts and voiceovers that keep people listening. Hello and welcome to the Outskirts of Faith podcast, the podcast that is for everyone, whether you are new to Christianity, you've got an interest in faith, you just want to know a little bit more about what it's all about. This is conversation that's been going on for around 2,000 years and the source of that has been going around since the beginning of time. Let's see what's going on on today's podcast. I walked away from church for the better part of 10 years, to be honest, and it took me a long time to kind of come back. Christianity is absolutely a team sport, so I think church is a part of it. Whether you've ever set foot inside a church or not, you are still built to reverence and be awed by and love and adore something that is bigger than you. We are absolutely built for that. So today I'm joined by author, speaker, filmmaker, and part of the charity Speak Life, Glenn Scrivener. Glenn, you are very welcome here. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm a little bit cold. Uh, We have turned off the heating in this building, except in one room where all the rest of the Speak Life staff are. So I have been banished down to the freezer, otherwise known (laughs) as the studio. But uh, apart from that, I'm doing great. But uh, I'm pleased to see that you've actually got a little heater. You've set yourself a little heater down there, so that's good. There's a little tiny little space heater that's it's got a lot of work to do in this studio it's actually a two-story studio so <laughs> tell us about speak life tell us a little bit more for people who don't really know about that tell us about what you do yeah i go around shooting my mouth off about jesus i'm a christian i am an ordained minister in the church of england but my day job is to go anywhere where people will have me to explain faith to people who are perhaps on the outskirts of faith themselves and so i go to schools and universities and churches and i'll talk to people face to face but then something we're increasingly doing is getting out there online and so Our YouTube channel has been growing over the years. Our podcasts have been growing over the years. And yeah, we see this as a really significant way in which people are asking the big questions in life. And so we're we're trying to make an impact online as well. I think there was a survey last year that was done that said uh, 26% of people who had a big question about faith, they would ask Google. And a further 10% would say they would search within YouTube, which of course is owned by Google. And so you've got large numbers of people who are asking big questions online and we want to be at the other end of that search, providing material that people can really understand and and give them a a fresh vision of Jesus. And that's really important, isn't it, Glenn? Because if you do a little search on Google, there are so many opinions. You know, there are so many different angles. There are so many different types of church. There are so many different comments. And there could be very, very small things, but it would actually reach people on a different level and could potentially put people off than take people on a journey closer to Jesus. That's true. And that's true at every stage is that no matter who somebody asks, they might be turned off by the answer or they might be drawn (laughs) further towards Jesus. And so another part of what we do at Speak Life is training people in how to share their faith and making sure it's a kind of a a rich, heartfelt, joy-filled message of Jesus that fills the hearts of Christians so that we want to overflow to others with the good news of Jesus. Well, Speak Life is a perfect kind of follow-up to actually what we're doing here at the Outskirts of Faith podcast. We get some wonderful guests on here. We've got some lovely listeners and all from different angles. And for people who do want to say, do you know what? I just want to explore this a fraction further. And that's the beauty of podcasts. I wonder if you feel the same about this, that no one needs to know what they're doing. 
You know, if they You're do right. feel a little bit yeah. un, you know, unsure or anything, they can just have their headphones on. As far as people know, they're listening to music. Right. So tell us more <laughs> about the website. Where would you urge people to go from a Speak Life point of view? So everything is on speaklife.org.uk and that will take you to our YouTube. We've got a couple of different YouTube channels and we've got uh, our pod. In fact, we've got a couple of different podcasts as well. But yeah, all our media can be found on speaklife.org.uk. What are your podcast titles? We've got the Speak Life podcast. Uh, You can search that on your podcatcher of choice. And uh, then we've got Reading Between the Lines with me, Glenn Scrivener. So if you search for Reading Between the Lines and Glenn Scrivener, you'll find just a daily thought that takes you through the Bible in 365 Mm. phrases. The jumping off points for every episode is just a little five-minute episode. And it just takes a, a phrase that's passed into common parlance. And so we talk about something falling by the wayside, for instance. Like, what, what is that falling by the wayside? Ah, oh, it actually comes from Mark chapter four, a story that Jesus tells. And I kind of explain a little bit about that. And it's one way of working your way through the Bible. And you realize that you knew a lot more Bible than you thought you did, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian. And so, yeah, reading between the lines has been helpful to a lot of people too. So with all the great work that you're doing, the first question I want to ask you, and I'd be interested to know your answer. Have you personally ever found yourself on the outskirts of faith or been pulled to the outskirts of faith? Or if not, have you witnessed people on the outskirts of faith? And what does that look like? Oh, sure. Like, what is faith? I mean, faith is, another word for it is belief or trust, reliance, dependence. If I ask myself the question, have I always trusted that there is a God who loves me? And who wants my best? Have I always trusted that? No, historically, I certainly have not. And today, do I trust that, yeah, that there is a, a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children and who can be trusted with today? I struggle with faith every day. And certainly historically in my life, I grew up in a church going home, although my mum is a great believer. My dad turned out to be uh, quite publicly uh, a hypocrite in ways that absolutely rocked our faith as a family. And there was always the question, you know, do you go with mum or do you go with dad? Do you do you let mum be your picture of what Christianity is about or do you let dad be the picture? And for many years in my teenage years and beyond, I sort of let dad be the picture of what a Christian was. And I thought I can't be doing with any of that hypocrisy. And I walked away from church for the better part of 10 years, to be honest. And, and it took me a long time to kind of come back to faith. And, and what it was, was a, a friend basically saying, Glenn, your dad is not the picture of God. Jesus is the picture of the kind of God that you can believe in. And that was kind of a transformational moment because I, you know, I, I kind of, I think we do naturally imagine that our parental figures are kind of godlike figures. Whether we want to or not, we can make all sorts of assumptions about what God is like when really what we're thinking about is the authority figures in our, in our own lives. And my dad had, had been a very negative picture of what God was like. But then he wanted to show me Jesus from the Gospels. We read through Luke's Gospel and I just thought, oh my goodness, if God's like him, I'm in. And that was a sort of transformational thing that happened in my early 20s. Wow. So would you say it's easier to be pulled away from the faith than taking a decision to come into the faith? I think every relationship takes time and effort, doesn't it? Mm. Um, So if you think about that significant other in your life, if you're in a relationship, you will know that you don't drift towards intimacy. 
maybe in the early stages of a relationship, the hormones kind of carry you along and sweep you up and you don't have to put too much thought and effort into the time that you spend with that significant other. But I've been married 20 years this year and you have to schedule in. You know, there is, let's have a date night and let's make sure that we have that coffee today and let's make sure that we check in with each other and let's make sure because you don't drift into intimacy. And so I would say the same is true with our relationship with God. There can be moments and times when it's a feelings-based inspirational moment of connection and you're like, this is amazing. But as with any relationship, I think it takes the time for you to put yourself in the way of hearing good Christian truth. And whether that's listening to a good podcast like your podcast or some of our podcasts, or whether that's, you know, cracking open a Bible you know, mm. on a daily basis or getting along to church or getting alongside a Christian friend who can help you. I think any relationship requires that kind of investment of time and faith is no different. I agree. I want to go back to what you were saying about being pulled like between your, say, your mother's direction and the father's direction there. Now, I think that is something which people would experience on a daily basis. And it may not necessarily be within the family. It could be within friends. You might want to try something, but you get pulled to do something else. And you know that you shouldn't be going down that road, but you kind of get pulled there anyway. How can someone go about saying, do you know what? I know you're saying that. I know you're saying that. How can somebody find their journey towards a relationship mm. with God? I think we've been given all sorts of helps along the way. I think the people of God, the church is a gift to us. When we think of church, I don't think we should first of all think of a tradition or an institution, but we should think of a family of believers, brothers and sisters who've been given to us to shoulder the burdens with us. Mm. I, I think Life is too much for me to handle by myself. And the Christian life is too much for me to handle by myself. I need other people. I need to get alongside them and to have that encouragement from them. There's a great little book written by a, an old German pastor called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was actually hung by the Nazis at the end of the war. And before he died, he wrote because he was you know, against the Nazis and, and part of the resistance movement. But one of the things he wrote before he died was a little book called Life Together. And he talked about why we need one another in the Christian life. He used an uh, amazing phrase. He says, the Christ in the word of your brother or sister is stronger than the Christ in your own heart. <laughs> and what he meant by that was that you can nurse within yourself a feeling of love for Jesus. You can nurse within yourself feelings of faith. But when your brother or sister eyeballs you and says, Glenn, Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Jesus was so committed to you, he would rather die for you than live without you. When my friend looks at me and says that the Christ in the word of my brother or sister is stronger than the Christ of my own heart. And that's why we've been given each other. We need one another to kind of help us walk this, this journey together. Christianity is absolutely a team sport. So I think church is a part of it and cracking open the Bible and, and or however you download the Bible, whether it's through a podcast or on an app, that always keeps us anchored and that sort of thing. But regular worship, I think is important. And again, you know, whether I feel on a Sunday morning, like shouting out a hallelujah, maybe not first thing, 
And certainly not when I'm trying to get my young kids along to church and get their shoes and socks on and all that, you know. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> but I, but I, yeah, right. But I find that in going through those motions, just as in going through the motions of date night, by the end of it, you're so glad that you did, you know. So there are helps that have been given to us. And I think the people of God, the word of God, the worshiping God are, are a big part of that. So a couple of things here. So first of all, I just want to say, just adding on to what Glenn's saying here, is that there are like apps you can get. So I've actually got one on my phone. I won't get it now, but it's uh, it's called the Holy Bible app. And what's great about it is it's not just like an app which just says scripture, 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 flick through. Every day you get a little piece of scripture. And if it resonates with you, and I just want to make it quite clear, and Glenn, would you agree that every bit of scripture wouldn't necessarily just resonate with you? Different bits resonate with mm-hmm. you at different times. Mm-hmm. But what happens is it comes up with a little bit of scripture and then from there you can then swipe across and read the full section or then you have someone read it to you and break it down. And I think that's really important. I really do. Mm. But for people who are listenless now and they hear you say things like worship, you know, that could be a little bit off-putting if you don't have experience of worship or know what worship actually means. In a kind of lighter phrasing what would you say worship could actually mean? How could someone who's first starting off worship? I think we are built for it. Whether you've ever set foot inside a church or not, you are still built to reverence and be awed by and love and adore something that is bigger than you, something that frames your vision of reality, something that gives you a kind of a pole star to guide you something that captivates your heart, something that fills your imagination, we are absolutely built for that. And whether you've ever gone to church or not, you've had an experience or you've gone to a concert and the hairs on the back of your neck are standing on edge. It is spine tingling. You want to lift your hands. You want to rise up and so often you do <laughs> and you're swept up in standing on your feet. And if it's not a music concert, maybe you've gone to a football game or, you know, some kind of sports event where, oh my goodness, your team has just snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. And what do you do? Like you, you don't take that sitting down. No, You are on your feet. You are jumping up and down. You are hugging complete strangers. You are happier on that day than on your wedding day, which is an extraordinary thing. <laughs> like, like, I mean, you're pretty happy on your wedding day, but you don't absolutely jump up and down with joy and hug total strangers. And, you know, <laughs> like the euphoria that we are built for. We are so poorly served in life if that euphoria is only directed towards that one great concert that we went to last July or that one sporting event that, that, that we go to. We are so poorly served in life because we are made for worship. We are made to adore. We are made to be swept up to, into a much bigger story and to celebrate that bigger story. So what is worship? It is naming that which is worthy and responding appropriately. Mm. And okay, the sports star who accomplished that incredible feat, they are worthy of a certain amount of acclaim. They are worthy of a certain amount of applause. The musician that just absolutely has an entire arena in the palm of her hand, 
she is worthy of a certain amount of acclaim and a certain amount of applause. But the one who invented music, <laughs> the one who is the source of all being and life, and the one who is the source of your being and life, is worthy of acclaim, is worthy of our attention, is worthy of our applause. And if we are not making time for that, we are shrinking our souls. That's what I'd say. And do you think it could start as simple as, because there are so many people say you pray like this, you pray like that. If you've never mm -hmm. prayed before, but you want to, mm. but you think I'm not worthy or anything like that. Do you think you could start with something as simple as God? Thank you. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. There's a beautiful scene in the gospels where Jesus is at the top of a mountain praying and his disciples, his followers, they see him praying and they're basically getting a little window onto the very life of God. Because according to the Bible, you know, Jesus is the eternal son of God. He was there before the world began. He has always been in a communication with loving and enjoying his father mm. and calling him father in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Like, who is God? According to the Bible, who is God? God is a family of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus the Son has always been saying, my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father. And that goes to the question of, like, what is worship? Like, worship is original to reality. Before there was a cosmos, there was worship, right? <laughs> um, worship is not simply our response to God. Worship is who God is. Worship predates the universe. Worship is the logic of reality. And Jesus has always been in on this. Okay, so he has always been praying, my father, my father, my father, my father. And there was a time when Jesus' followers got to see it in the flesh. Mm. Extraordinary. God the Son has become God our brother. And they saw God the Son worshiping God the Father in the joy of God the Spirit. And they said, we want in on this. They said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, Jesus then teaches them, okay, when you pray, pray, Father. Hmm. And, it's, and he starts to go on and, and, and explain the Lord's prayer to people. When you pray, why don't you pray, our Father? Jesus has always been calling God my Father. And now you come to Jesus and hand in hand with Jesus, he invites you to now call his Father our father. And all of a sudden, and, and so he, he gives us the Lord's prayer and there's a simplicity to that. There are words in there that you won't understand. Words like hallowed that nobody, you know, nobody really knows these days. And you can, you can Google it. You can figure, you can figure <laughs> it out. But what I love about Jesus takes you simply into the heart of prayer. The first thing he does as, as he goes through the Lord's prayer is he just says, pray Father. There's the first step. And then he's like, well, he's our father. Oh, so maybe I'm meant to pray with others. And then he says, he's our father in heaven. Okay, so I'm meant to orient myself upwards and not simply kind of stare at my navel and, and look at my feet the whole time. But there's a there's a heavenly perspective. Ah, uh, hallowed? Oh, what what does hallowed mean in the Lord's Prayer? Well, we do have that sense, don't we, with sports teams like if you're a Liverpool fan. Anfield is hallowed turf, right? We've got that that sense. It's it's holy. It's special. It's sacred. Ah, there's something in life that's sacred. Oh, hallowed be your name. Ah, 
Oh, what's the name of God? Oh, that's his character. Ah, so what is most sacred in life is his character. And and Jesus has given us words because I think when we try to come up with stuff by ourselves, we flounder around. I flounder around. I've been I've been a Christian for decades and still I flounder around with words. But the beautiful thing is Jesus says, okay, when you pray, why don't you pray this way? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and, and through he goes. Some people think that something like the Lord's Prayer is a bit too formal to be helpful. I actually think, I'm with C.S. Lewis on this. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books, he said, it's a bit like a Christmas tree. Jesus has given us this thing, this Christmas tree, and the branches of the Christmas tree are like the lines in the prayer, our Father in heaven. And what do you do with a Christmas tree? You decorate it, our Father in heaven. So spend a moment thinking about God as Father, the kind of Father who's not perhaps like your earthly father, but an, an actually good, generous, life-giving source of being. He is your father. Think about that. And as you maybe add a word or two to that, you're basically putting a decoration on that top branch of the Christmas tree. And then you go to the next branch and the next branch and the next branch. And I think actually the formality of that prayer can really help because it gives you a structure. And for anyone who has a monkey mind like me, you know, my brain just flits around everywhere. Having that structure can really help me with praying. So, so maybe look up the Lord's Prayer and have a go at that. I think that's a great idea. And I love the way you phrased it as well, because it can get a little bit like, it can be quite upbeat in church. And then suddenly it was like, we're now going to, it was like the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And then suddenly everyone goes a bit, uh, a bit, uh, a bit there. Where I'm thinking, why are people not going there and there and there? You know, it's, it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of church, I've asked you to bring a piece of scripture with you today. And I'm really Mm -hmm. interested. I'm really excited about this, actually. So what have you chosen and why have you chosen it? Okay. I thought we can have a look. And I'm going to look it up on this great Bible app called YouVersion. And I think that's the one that you were referring to, isn't Hmm. it, Elliot? It it says Holy Bible on the app. It says Holy Bible on the app, yeah. But I think when you go there, it's called YouVersion and they've got all these different plans and verses yeah, you for the version. Day. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So using my version app, um, I'm not receiving any <laughs> payments <laughs> for this free advertising for version. But I thought I'd go to Matthew 3 and the baptism of Jesus. And this is kind of the launch event of Jesus onto the world stage. So for uh, the majority of his adult life, Jesus was a carpenter, you know, a builder's laborer, an artisan, He worked with his hands. He swung a hammer for most of his adult life. And then he put the hammer down, aged 30. And he has this public launch event to the world. And what does the launch event look like? Well, it looks like a baptism. And a baptism is a word that means washing. And there is this wild and woolly figure called John the Baptist. And he is baptizing people. And what that means is people are thinking that I want to get close to God. I recognize there's an uncleanness to me and I need to take a bath. And the bath on the outside is a symbol of the cleansing that we all need on the inside. And there's this beautiful moment where like crowds flock to John the Baptist and they're getting honest. It's a real moment of authenticity. It's, it's kind of like the failures convention. It's like, come one, come all, you must be a loser. And all these losers are queuing around the block to take a bath. And then who should show up at the failures convention? But Jesus, the perfect, pure son of God. It's quite an interesting scene. What's going to happen? Mm. 
Well, Matthew 3 from verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. That's up in the north where Jesus grew up. He came from Galilee to the Jordan, which is down south near Jerusalem, to be baptized by John. And that's like a scandalous verse because it's like, why does he need to get baptized? He's the perfect, pure son of God. He's been in on this family love with God from before the world began. Now he's come to planet Earth and he's joining the queue for the failures convention. Think of all the ways that verse could go. It it could say Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to judge all the rotten sinners. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess that that's fair enough. (laughs) You know, they're all they're all claiming to be sinners. So it's a fair cop. (laughs) You know, the judge of the world can come and judge them. But that's not what it says. And it doesn't say Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to baptize everyone else which would be a lovely verse, wouldn't that? That would be, mm. a, that would be the sort of, you can imagine a, a, a watercolor painting of the scene and Jesus, you know, gently washing all the messy people. And you think, oh, that's a lovely kind of poster that grandma can kind of <laughs> put up on her wall. But it doesn't say that, it's scandalous. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized. And then everyone's shocked. Next verse, verse 14, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Like John is voicing our concern. We're like, well, surely if he's the perfect pure son of God, he should not take a bath. He should be bathing everybody else. This is a a public relations nightmare for team Jesus. Like what what are the optics? What does this look like? It looks like he's messy. It looks like he's a sinner like, like you and me. But Jesus replied in verse 15, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. What does he mean by fulfilling all righteousness? There's lots of things that this means, but one thing it means is let's fulfill what the Old Testament scriptures were always promising. And one of the key promises from the Old Testament, you can look it up in Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years before the first Christmas. Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, he will be numbered with the transgressors, which means he will be counted alongside all the other sinners. He will join the mess, right? He will, in solidarity with us, join the failures convention and say, I'm with you guys now. And it's a beautiful scene. It's it's like the son of God joins us in our failures so we can join him in his family. He joins us in our failures so we can join him in his family. It's a beautiful idea. And it's the idea that's at the heart of the whole Bible. Who is Jesus? He's the one who comes down into our mess as our brother to take on our mess, to take on all our enemies, to take on all our burdens. And then on the cross to take on our sin as well, to pay for it all, to take it down to the death and judgment that it deserves. And then he rises up again. And he says, I've taken your failures. Do you want my family? And you think, well, what's the family? Well, keep reading. In verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. So when heaven opens, what do you see? You see what God is like. Well, what's God like? God is a father who is brimful of pride and praise and joy, love for his son, Jesus, and filling him with the Holy Spirit. 
That's who God is. God is love. God is a Niagara Falls of love, a father always loving his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. When heaven is opened, if you if you got to see into the cockpit of all reality, if you got to see behind the curtain, what is the operating system of the cosmos? What's it all about? It's about love. It's a father always loving the son in the joy of the spirit. And Jesus has come from that family into our dysfunctional family. He's come to our failures. He's come to our filth. He's joined us in our mess so that we can now join him in his family. And anyone who simply gets honest, like these people at the baptism were getting honest, anyone who just says, yeah, I'm messy, I need a bath, well, Jesus just invites them. Stand with Jesus in the waters. Confess your sins. Turn from that and embrace Jesus. And suddenly you find that with Jesus, you have his spirit as your spirit. And you have his father as your father. And you have this verdict said over your life. You are my child who I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the offer of Jesus. It's for free and it's forever. And I just love telling people this news. That's, that's why this is, this is my passage for today's podcast. I, I just love for people to get the idea that God is love and you're invited. And you tell it so well. You tell it so well. You, tell, you do tell it in an inviting way, which is lovely. And there's so much comfort in that, isn't there? There's so much comfort, you know, knowing that right. however you might, and we all do, you know, we'll judge ourselves a little bit, you know, and, and if you ever think to yourself, oh, I'm not worthy for this. Like, well, you are. You are. And it's so wonderful. Like there's a, a chat called Michael Emmett who comes on. He's one, he's, and he's done one of my favorite quotes of all time. And that is, and he, and he speaks like this. He like, Jesus loves the gutter. Jesus loves the gutter. And I love that phrase. Right. I actually love it. And you can take right. gutter to mean whatever you want. But for me, it's just I want to put it on a T-shirt and walk around with it, you know. And it doesn't matter yeah. where you can just turn to Jesus at any time. That's just beautiful. So thank you so yeah. much for explaining yeah. that. We have now come to... What, what does, does it mean? mean? I really don't have a clue. That's right. Every week what we actually do is we, we try to address some words that might pop up in people's conversation, or it may be a barrier that will stop people having a conversation because they may feel like, you know, I could go to church, but I don't know all that terminology. I don't know all that church stuff, you know. So I never even get to experience it like the community of church because they won't even take that step in. Or it may be a barrier to stop a conversation with a friend down the road who might have that because they think they can't have that chat. So each week we take a word. And I've got a word for you, which I think you're going to handle really well. And I'm really glad that we're asking you this one. So, Glenn, could you just explain? Now, you hear this word quite a lot and you hear people say it. And you kind of go, yeah, 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 go along with that. Anointing. Anointing. I mean, <laughs> I, I've, I don't think I've ever used that. Uh, I don't think I've ever gone home and it's like, uh, hi, a son, hi, a daughter. You know, today I'm going to do some anointing. We can do some anointing. What does that word mean? Please, Glenn, explain. So... The queen, when she was crowned in, was it 53? When she was crowned, it was not simply that a crown was placed on her head, but that oil was sort of drizzled on her head. She was anointed. And that's literally what the word anointing means. It's oil is put onto, sometimes various pieces of furniture are anointed in the temple, in the Bible. But more commonly, people are anointed. Prophets are anointed, priests are anointed, and kings are anointed. 
And it's the pouring of oil onto someone's head. And in, in the Bible, an anointing always happens with oil. And you can even get that in the English word ointment. Ointment is an oily kind of a thing. And an anointing is basically getting oily. Okay. <laughs> so what does it mean when people say, oh, well, that was very anointed? Or that so-and-so is an anointed preacher or it was an anointed moment. What they're pointing to is the fact that there was something of the spirit about what somebody said. There was something of the spirit about that person and how they interacted. So in the Old Testament, if you were going to be a prophet or a priest or a king, you needed the spirit in order to speak the words of God or to rule God's people or to or to work in the temple. You needed the, the help of God's Holy Spirit. And so the symbol of oil was showing your dependence on the spirit. Jesus comes and you might know that the word Christ is not Jesus's surname. So it's it's not like Mary and Joseph Christ had their little boy Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. And literally the title is Christ is translated from the Hebrew word Messiah and both Christ in the Greek and Messiah in the Hebrew means anointed one. Mm. So Jesus literally he he is the anointed one. And what that means is he is the one who has always been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, the father has been loving his son, saying, you are my son who I love with you. I'm well pleased and filling him with the Holy Spirit. The father has always been anointing his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes to share his anointing with us. It's a bit like... If you've ever seen pictures of uh, like a champagne fountain or something, I've, I've never been to a party that's posh enough to have a champagne fountain. Well, it's all Chocolate prosecco fondue these fountain. Days. <laughs> it's all prosecco. It's all yeah, prosecco. Yeah. <laughs> Budget cuts, yeah. <laughs> With the cost of living crisis, <laughs> I think it's Ribena now. <laughs> but uh, but like we've seen pictures of like George Best, you know, pouring the magnum of champagne into the head glass, and then there's a pyramid of glasses beneath, and they all receive the champagne from that head glass and overflows the head and fills the other glasses. Well, Christ is the head of his church and the father continually anoints his son, Jesus, with the oil of the spirit. If we are in Christ, if we have come to Jesus, if we're packed together like those champagne glasses in the pyramid, then we receive Christ's anointing. And in fact, there are, there are places in the New Testament, like in the book of uh, 1 John, that talks about how we have received an anointing from the anointed one. And so we become little Christs. That's what Christian means. Christian means a little anointed one. So I'm a little bit anointed. You're a little bit anointed just by being a Christian. But then in common parlance in church life, we sometimes talk about, oh, that person when they preached that you know, Bible passage, oh, that was an anointed sermon or that was an anointed time of worship, or it was an anointed special time that we had back last Thursday. And so we we use it to refer to, there was something of the spirit to it. There was something of it being sacred, of something to it being set apart. But actually, when you trace it all back, it's all about the anointed one, Jesus, who is filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And if you really want an anointing, come to him and he shares his anointing with you. Do you know, I'm so glad we gave you that question. I don't know if anyone else could answer <laughs> it like that. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give you that credit because I was talking to uh, Chris Byland. I know you know Chris Byland and he's part of our um, yeah, yeah. our team here on the Outskirts Faith podcast. And I said, you know, what? I want to give a really good word. I said, 
there is one word that I'm struggling a bit with how I would explain it. And I came up anointing and he said, go on, give it, he'll handle it, give it to him. And I, <laughs> well, But what I love, I just love the, the idea of the, the champagne glasses and it's overfilling and anointing down and Jesus being that top glass, you know. And then maybe we could even say God could be the champagne that goes as, as, as well. Think, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's very, very, well, we yeah. could go on forever on that. I love it. You write a book just on okay. that. Champagne glasses and me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so with everything that's going on in the world right now, where have you seen God working recently? Oh man, I was just so thrilled yesterday. My neighbor in rented accommodation, I'm at the end of the terrace, they're next to us. So I don't have neighbors on my other side, but I do have neighbors on my left-hand side. And they're in rental accommodation. And because they smoke, they have to come out of their house. They're on the porch 20 times a day. And I've got loads of opportunity to sort of chat with them about life and faith. And one of them's come to faith and it's brilliant. He's been coming to church. And my great joy yesterday was he came to me and he showed me some words on his phone that he'd just been tapping out. And I was like, what's this? And he says, I don't know what it is, but it's about Jesus. And I started reading it and I was like, oh, mate, this is, this is like poetry. And then he said, or a song. But I don't sing and I, I, I don't, I'm not musical. I was like, well, I've got a guitar. Why don't we? And so we, we went into, into my house and, and I sort of put these words to some rhythm and rhyme. And I'd like, like I, I write quite a lot of poetry and done a few songs myself. And so I, I just kind of tweaked a few things and put the words into rhythm and rhyme. And we came up with a tune. And after an hour, we got a song. And I just sort of recorded it. And just today, I was like, how are you doing? He said, I have listened to that song 57 times. <laughs> and, and, and it's a beautiful little, you know, worship song to Jesus. And, and here, here is a guy who had no real background in faith and, and kind of a year ago would not have been, would not have recognized the person who wrote a worship song yesterday. But all of a sudden, this is, this is the world that we're living in. And, and in fact, yesterday, there were four other encouragements yesterday from people who I've been in touch with in recent times who've all come to faith recently. And then there's other family members who have come to faith and God's at work in. And it's just, it's just really cool to have a front row seat in what God's doing in other people's lives. I love it. I really love that. And what I also like as well is that you didn't try and give some great big answer there. And I think that's my point. The whole point of this, where we've seen God working, is that if you move away from, say, looking for like massive miracles and can cast your mind away from like negative things we see on the news. God is working everywhere. There are these little oh, yeah. bits of beauty everywhere. And if you just change your eyes, if you just peel a little layer away and it'd be amazing yeah. what you see. And, and you've really proven that in my yeah. story. Thank you. Okay, let's move mm -hmm. on to Splat the Nat. So we're going to splat than that. So Glenn, the whole point of this is I was saying about how whether you refer to it as evil or negativity or bad thoughts, there are things in everyday life which can cloud you and make you not see with the true loving self that we all are naturally and can stop us walking and working with God to be the best that we can be and to go on and just, just have a decent day. You know, we, it's very easy to be consumed, you know. And I describe it as a gnat. It sort of flies and you, you move out of the way, but it keeps flying back. It doesn't leave you. It just keeps going everywhere. Where I'm saying, well, do you know what we'll do? Let's just swat that gnat 
and then we'll pick it up and then we'll hand it to God. And and it doesn't go away. It's still there, you know. It's not like we're like, oh, that, that trauma's gone now. You know, it's nothing to do with that. But it, what it is, God's there to support us. And we can hand it to God, clear our minds a bit, go on with our day and say, do you know what? I'm going to work with that with you, Lord. I know you want to help me. We can work that out together. Which I think is just a gorgeous thing to say that we have in our lives, that we can do that. So my question to you is, if there was something in the world right now that you could swap, if you could splat a gnat right now and hand that to God, what would that gnat be? I don't know. In my in my own life, I met up with a friend yesterday and I just kind of confessed some of the ridiculousness that runs around in my own heart. Like, I said that I write poetry and sometimes write songs and try to be creative. We, we make a lot of films at Speak Life. And I've recognized in myself that as with a lot of creative people, we can be incredibly critical, incredibly critical. I was watching an interview between Billy Corgan, who was the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, and Rick Beato, who's got a really interesting YouTube channel. He's a music producer, who's also a music theorist. He was interviewing Billy Corgan, and Special Pumpkins was one of my you know, favorite bands growing up. And Billy Corgan was absolutely known for being a total perfectionist. And he was talking about the art of songwriting. And he had a guitar like on him as he talked about how he like wrote the song Tonight Tonight. And he was like, uh, you know, in writing the song, I went in this direction. And there was a voice in my head that was just like, no, 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 no. Yes, that. Lock it in. Don't change that. That's it. And then he put a voice to what I notice in my own head, <laughs> my, my head is just filled with that kind of critique constantly. And, and it's, it's largely directed at myself and it's largely directed at things I, I'm attempting to do. But it also spills over into, oh, okay, I'm involved in creative projects with lots of other people. And I also have family and friends. And so, you know, the inner critic of Glenn Scrivener has such huge capacity for doing damage and for just being cutting mm. for the sake of being cutting. I can see how that creativity has served me well as a writer. You know, it's all about rewriting what you've written. It's all about looking at the, the <laughs> that junk first draft and saying, no, 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 it's got to be this. But there's a gnat in my life <laughs> that is all about critique, judgment. And I've just found such healing in saying that to my friend and my friend just like shaking his head at me and laughing at me <laughs> like <laughs> like the it's so deflated this thing that had been bugging me ever, ever since i saw the billy corgan interview i was just like that's me i'm a monster and uh yeah there, there are some monstrous tendencies there but my friend just heard me and he just had the biggest laugh on his face and he and he and he was like I don't understand what you're talking about, but uh, well done for handling it because, you know, that doesn't come across to me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, then, uh. like, and off we went for a walk. And that, I, But just sharing it with a friend, getting the perspective, and then him sharing, you know, some other things that he was struggling with. He's struggling with different sins. And I think we don't have a sense of perspective when we just nurse our little foibles and keep them to ourselves. Again, we need one another, and that gives such a sense of perspective and then liberation and freedom, hopefully. Wonderful. Great answer. Thanks so much. So I'm now going to do a quick fire round with you. 
I've just got three questions. These aren't supposed to be taxing. These are just questions which you can answer for people and in many ways myself as well. Like a lot of these questions I know, a lot of these questions I don't know. But what I'll do is I will ask you the question. I want you to think about it. And and this time, while I play a few seconds soundbed underneath you, just have a little think about how you want to answer it in the best way for people who are hearing this for the first time may be able to understand it and walk away with a little something as well. Glenn, so where did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? Now, I know you know that answer there, but if you could just elaborate a little bit, that would be fantastic. So where did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? On Mount Sinai okay. in Exodus chapter 19. What would you imagine that sort of scene would have kind of looked like? Because I think it's something that people kind of just take for granted, don't they, when they hear that? Well, that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it was absolutely terrifying. And the people were actually invited up to the top of the mountain to begin with. And then the people were so terrified to come up and meet with God that they were like, no, no, Moses, you go up. You just, you, you write it down. You, you mediate for us. And yeah, so it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And it was, it was kind of blood and thunder. And there was light described and there's darkness and deep cloud and to the point where the people just said, Moses, you need to be the go-between. And fascinatingly, right before Moses dies, he prophesies that what Israel really needs is another prophet like me who will be your go-between. He will be the go-between between the God who you want to meet, but you, you realize you're not ready to meet. And of course, the New Testament says, you know, he has come. His name is Jesus. And the, the great go-between has come. But uh, Fantastic. yeah, Sinai would have been terrifying. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. Question number two. Which human author wrote the most words in the Bible? Which human author wrote the most words in the Bible? If we say that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, I'm going to say Moses. Oh, I have to say, there you go. I'm going to give you a clap. I'm going to give you a clap. All right, I'll tell you, um, he wrote 125,139 words. And being a director of an audiobook company and being a producer, I can tell you we'd probably record that in about three and a half days, four days uh, of a like, professional, mm. just nonstop reading. I'm talking nonstop reading. So mm. to write it, goodness me. Okay, so your final question, and I thought this would be a good one to give you actually, is um, what is the shortest verse in the Bible and what did it mean? Okay, so I know you know it straight away, but I'm going to give this to you because I think you can elaborate a little bit. So what is the shortest verse in the Bible and what did it mean? I think the answer that most people give is Jesus wept from John chapter 11. I think there are even shorter ones in the Old Testament. I think there are a couple of verses that are just, and he said. If you just go by letters, they're shorter. Oh, but, you go for anyway. letters. Okay, I see where you're going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, yes, Jesus, Jesus wept. Yeah. Because? His friend Lazarus was in the tomb. And while he was sick, Lazarus' sister said, uh, come and save the one you love. So he was clearly so close to Lazarus that as soon as they said, the one you love is ill, Jesus knew exactly who that meant. Oh, that must be Lazarus. Mm. And Jesus actually delayed until La Lazarus died. And then Jesus shows up. And like from any human perspective, he's showing up late to a funeral. 
And then he starts out crying every other Middle Eastern mourner, which is some going in the first century. And then within a few minutes, he raises the guy. It's the most extraordinary story. It's like, you know, God shows up late to a funeral. He outcries everybody else and then raises the guy. It's the most extraordinary story. But the Jesus wept thing is right there in the middle, even though he knows that he's about to be reunited with Lazarus. Even a few minutes of death is is too much for Jesus. And and if he wept at Lazarus's tomb, you can you can bet he he weeps with you and he weeps with the sorrows that you're going through. Yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. Absolutely, isn't it wonderful to have that kind of human element there of of mm. the tears? Glenn Scrivener, mm. it's just you're one of those people I I want to talk more because I feel like I would gain so much personally by talking to you. And for that reason, I'm going to be uh, certainly subscribing to your podcast. I urge people to do that as well. And before we leave today, I was wondering, would you be kind enough to close us down in prayer and I'll just do a little sign off at the end? Sure thing. Thanks so much. Uh, Our Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that because Mm. of Jesus, your Spirit-filled Son, we are invited to come before you as children. And I just pray for everyone listening that we would all know the anointing of your spirit, that we would all know your joy, your love, your blessing, Mm. your peace. We pray that each of us would look to Jesus and see in him the kind of gods that we can trust, the kind of God who stoops and serves and suffers and bleeds and weeps and even dies for us. And I pray that each of us in our own ways and on our own journeys would discover the goodness, the glory, the joy of Jesus so that hand in hand with him, we might know you as our dear father. Walk with us, bless us and give us your peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, just... I just ask you to remain by the side of everyone to speak life and just to help that organization grow. Just let it expand and let it reach people. And when it reaches them, let it reach further people and let it expand, expand, just to draw people closer to you, Lord. And I pray for all of our listeners today that they will gain something from this, something that will reach their heart, something that will say, do you know what? I've got that bit more confidence that I'm going to move forth and just explore a bit further and go to Glenn and Glenn's work and listen to more of what he has to say so their voices will get louder and their hearts will get more fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, and get closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Outskirts of Faith podcast. You can email us at podcast at outskirtsoffaithpodcast.com. And of course, you can see us on our social media channels as well. So join us next time. Tell your friends and I'll see you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Outskirts of Faith podcast. We would love more people to join our community. So please subscribe, share this podcast and join us on our social media. And of course, you can visit our resource website at outskirtsoffaith.com. This podcast was edited by Chris Byland, the YouTube video editing by Adam Moss, music by Matthew Salvage and hosted by Elliot Frisby. The Outskirts of Faith.